Hello and welcome to the Best Boys Podcast. I'm Best Boy Dan. And I'm drinking sake through a straw, y'all. <laughs> it's true. Uh, I picked up some some sakes and sushimis and sushis for the podcast. Except just the sakes. Yes. Um, and we found one that's called Lucky Dog Sake. And it's got this adorable little dog that looks like the little Lucky Cat statues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just sake in a juice box. Yeah, it's great. It is actually. It's the ideal good. form factor for alcohol, if you ask me. Um, <laughs> best part, Justin, just sipping on a sake box. Um, but yeah, so we... Have finally done it. We are bringing you the Toonami episode. Yes. Um, It is happening. Uh, I wrote it out. Uh, There is obviously way too much to cover in one episode. So this is going to be Toonami's rise to prominence. And then uh, we're not going to, you know, blast you with like four... Uh, episodes in a row of this. This is going to be kind of like an ongoing series. So later on, we'll kind of tackle the like height of it. We'll tackle Morning Sun. We'll tackle Midnight Run. Um, and then kind of the downfall and rebirth, question mark? We'll um, so yeah, so lots to go over. But today we're going to hit the how it came to prominence and what kind of that meant for the anime world but first we're going to hit you with some anime news and a little bit of banter um up first i don't have a ton of banter um because i'm prepping to move uh but i'm gonna give all you best buds out there a really good moving tip whether it comes for uh, like figurines, or specifically in my case, uh, Gundams, uh, I discovered a really handy trick. Wine boxes. Uh, and not like the kind that Best Boy Justin is currently drinking <laughs> out of. Though that is also really helpful for moving, I find, if you're of age. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of utility belts, please. <laughs> yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, but like the actual boxes that come to like liquor stores to like ship the wine in, the, with the, like, little separators in the middle that make the grid super useful for putting, like, figurines or, like, gunpla into because you just kind of, like, pack them up, put them in that little slot, and should stay safe. So I'll let you know after the move if uh, it worked, but I think I found a good life hack. There you go. Um, for my part, I kind of wanted to spend some time to talk about My Hero Academia because um, I actually I started rewatching it um, because we've got the new season uh, coming out soon, I believe this uh, this uh, in fall, right? So it was October eighth. Yeah, I think it's the next season, so yeah. like a month from now. Yeah, so new season's coming out, and you know when I saw that it was coming out, I kind of wanted to because when the last new season came out, I remembered being just like a little bit disoriented when it first started because I like I hadn't seen it in a while. I think they also had a fairly long break because they did the movie in between. Yeah, so I was like, you know what? Before this next season comes out, let me rewatch my hero, get reacquainted with it, and I've been really enjoying it. And I've also been like kind of picking it apart more than I did the first time that I mm. read through it. So I just wanted to talk about a couple things about the the show. You know, a little offhandedly, we'll talk about some some fun stuff. Um, but the first thing I want to talk about that I to- totally forgot about is that the first episode is really fucking sad. Yeah, <laughs> like really, really bad. Like like Midori is having a really rough one, man. Oh yeah. Like, and it's not even just the first episode; it's the first couple of episodes that yeah. are just like really fucking like woof, like with the feels. You know what I mean? Well, I think they do a really 
good job of putting you in Midoriya's, like, shoes. Absolutely, yeah. They definitely make you feel for his character and, like, you know, understand what his character's going through. And a part of that is the the other thing that I, you know, I didn't... I kind of picked up on the first time I watched it, but, like, never really hit me all the way. Bakugo is, like, literally... He's an unrepentant racial supremacist. Interesting. When you really think about it. Okay, go like, on. So, basically... <laughs> um, He's just, like, the worst... He's not just a bully. He's, like, literally... He he believes and, in, and is placing himself above Midoriya because Midoriya doesn't have power. So, like, he's harassing him. At one point, literally tells him to kill himself. Yeah. He's like, oh, if you want to be a hero, you better just go jump off the building so you can be reborn with a quirk. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, that's really fucking bad. But, like, the thing about it is, like... It kind of ends up getting reframed as like, oh, well, they're rivals because, you know, Bakugo has hormones. But, like, he never, ever repents for the, the like, the kind of, the stuff that he does to Midoriya, which is awful, by the way. I think, well, I'd be curious to see if that remains true. I mean, God, we're going on, like, five seasons now. Yeah, but, like, but what I will say about Bakugo is I do think he is one of the more complex characters in the show. Like, the, the show doesn't have a ton of, like, complex characters in it, but specifically Bakugo. Like, there's... A lot of different elements to him. I think he's complex in a bad way. <laughs> yeah. Because because if, if it doesn't ever become addressed and it just gets kind of shuffled, then that's not really good. That's like, fair. And the whole thing is like, it's not just like innocent, like, oh, kids are, are, you know, they rivals with each other and sometimes they don't get along. Like, when you really read into it, Bakugo... Especially when you're looking at um, in the first uh, combat training thing where they have to like grab the bomb. Uh-huh. Bakugo is mad at Midoriya, be- not just because Midoriya is like, you know, whatever, his rival or something. He's mad at Midoriya because he's not scared of him. And that's a really unhealthy impulse. Oh, yeah. He literally... I'm, I'm not saying that Bakugo is not deeply emotionally, like, crippled. Yeah, like, and it, it, it's, it just gets glossed over so much. Everyone just goes, oh, Bakugo is really mean to you. But, like, it's just really, really intense. And I think, like, if they did, they would be doing a disservice to never have him reckon with that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's funny, when you were watching it, too, I was watching what's his name like grape something or mm-hmm. whatever upon rewatch i'm like wow he's yeah. just awful he's really bad but like bakugo <laughs> like one of the things that when deku's like talking about like his childhood he's like the lesson that bakugo taught me was that not all men are created equal and like for a fucking 4 year old that's a lot dude and also like yeah. the reality is that he's been he had been bullying midoriya for way before then mm-hmm. because like the the conceit is that like even before he got his quirk bakugo has been like you know stronger than most kids smarter than most kids so like you know he always had his like little group and then that group midoriya was like the he was like the little errand boy yeah i mean i think you have to have some sort of like at least by the end of the show, a reckoning, reckoning of some for kind, him. Yeah, you know? I don't think. I think you're absolutely right. If he kept on that path for the whole show, then it would be like an issue. Well, yeah, I mean, and I feel like maybe five seasons in might be a little too long. 
Yeah, because like fair. you, you pe- like people start like, and it's not just you know I'm not talking about like people as if like they're not me. Like even I watched when I first watched through the show, completely kind of forgot about it. Yeah. Got caught up in the show and didn't really think about it. I'm like, oh well, I think Bakugo should be shipped with this person. Well, and, and like, yeah, and and you especially after the Kamino Ward arc, um, yeah, when he kind of demonstrate because like for especially in the beginning, you're like. Man, he's such an asshole. He like might as well just be a villain. Mm-hmm. And it isn't until that point that you're like, okay, he like really truly believes in being like a hero. Right. And like that feels like a redemption for him, but it's re- it's, it's it's not. not it's not It's at all. not anything different about him. Yeah. It's just kind of like just a little bit more aspect of his character that hasn't changed yet. Yeah. Anyway, some of the other things about uh, My Hero that I wanted to talk about was I never realized that All Might says shit a lot. Like, what do you mean? The English word shit. Oh, really? Yeah, he says in the first episode when he's starting to run out of time for his transformation, he goes, shit. And then, like, the next time, uh, in the second episode, I don't remember what the context was, but he said, holy shit! And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, the first time, I was like, huh? And then the second time I heard it, I was like, wait a minute. And like, well, I get it, but that kind of makes sense for the character, Yeah, because right? he's, like, the whole American deal. But, yeah. like, I've been, you know, I've been keeping an eye out for it as the show goes on, and he says it kind of a lot. That's like, really it's his funny. favorite curse, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I didn't look to see if they if they say it in the dubs too. I should check just to see. I doubt it. I don't think so. I'm but, almost positive not. Um, that's the other thing is I have been watching the dub on occasion just for like when I'm doing dishes or when I'm otherwise indisposed. And the dub is it's okay. Fine. It's yeah. fine. Some of the voices suck. Some of them don't. You lose some of the nuance, and it's fine. I, yeah, I, the important ones I think are really good. Like um, I think Christopher Sabat is yeah. uh, All Might, and yeah. he's just like. He's one probably of the, the best. best yeah. yeah, like you can't go wrong. Selkie with him. is really good too. The seal. Yeah, yeah, he's really good. Um, Star Wars references, full of Star Wars references. Mm-hmm. Um, just a couple that I pointed out. I've watched up to. Uh, I finished season two, um, and I'm working my way through season three now. But some of the ones that I've 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 just noticed and jotted down: Tatooine shopping district, mm. the Dagobah Beach Park. Mm-hmm. It's um, uh, it's really present in the uh, manga. Too. Yeah, yeah. There's the Naboo City Middle School, and then there's this one almost got by me, but it didn't. And that is, <laughs> do you remember the city where the Nomus all pop up in in season two? I don't remember the name of it. Well, the name is Ho- it's it's spelled Hosu City H O S U, but in Japanese it's pronounced Hosu, which is hot. Ah, uh, that one almost got me. They almost slipped it by me, but they didn't quite good. get it. Um, so I was very proud of myself for that. Um, the bodybuilding arc when Midoriya for is like training to to oh, get his beach, powers. Yeah. yeah, on the beach. Um, that one stuck out to me because it, at first glance it kind of looks like just like a regular training arc. But if you really read it's into it's an kinda, indictment of capitalism. It is an and, indictment of capitalism. And the destruction of our world and global warming. <laughs> no, but um, but kind of no. Um, but it's actually if you really listen to the things that All Might is telling Midoriya, it's really a lesson in civil service because he's telling Midoriya he's like. 
he's like, oh, you know, this beach used to be really clean, and, like, it's the duty of a hero to, like, do the small things that when nobody's watching. So, like, it's a really, I, I you know, I missed that the first time around. Oh, so what you're saying is for once and only once, All Might was a good teacher. I know, right? <laughs> the only time. And that is actually what I was going to talk about next, is that All Might is a very bad teacher. Well, it's just, it's so funny to me that, like, Midoriya struggles so much with it, and All Might's like, I don't get it. I just was instantly fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's it's funny, too, because, like, all of the other characters acknowledge that All Might is a bad teacher. It's not like, <laughs> I didn't suss this out. Like, I didn't have any, like, great theory that I'm, like, watching him and thinking about pedagogy. It's like, all the other characters, like, Gran Torino's like, wow, you're a really bad teacher. <laughs> like, um, for the, the worst thing, I think, was at the sports festival, when he's like, when, you know, he should be like counseling Midoriya <laughs> on controlling his powers and, he's and like, like learning your, how to grow with them. This is your time to shine. Yeah, he's, and instead he's telling them that, like, I want you to announce to the world that I am here. And it's like, bro, you are a freshman in high school. And also, he's like breaking his body apart. <laughs> yeah, like, you've had your powers for like 37 minutes. Like, like, take, like, learn them a little bit, you know? Um, and he even admits, too, when he says it, he's like, yeah, you know, I know this is a selfish request. I'm like, well, then don't make it. You're a teacher. Yeah. Child. <laughs> adult. This is, this is a child. Um, next, I have Midoriya's mom, who I, I want to talk about. I love Midoriya's mom. Midoriya's mom, she gets a bad rap a lot of times, but she's really? dealing with so much. Well, no. I feel like she, they, they kind of give her a bad rap early in the show, and it just kind of sticks with fans. Because of the, the the whole part where, like, you know, she's... I don't like those fans. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, like, she's dealing with so much. Because, like, she's got her son who really wants to be a hero, and, like, she's supposed to tell him that, I you know, you can do anything you want, but, like, all of the science and the facts and, like, the doctors are... They say no. Yeah. So, like, you know, it's heartbreaking for her. But yeah, she, for a three-year-old to learn this, like, tragic life yeah. lesson. And, like, I was thinking about this. I was like, ah, oh, man, like, you know, what what could you... What could be this sad? And, like, you know, it's got to be very similar to, like, having a child with a disability. You oh, know? yeah, for sure. You know, like, maybe a, a child at the age of three who can't walk doesn't understand that that means that they can't be a firefighter, you know, yeah. or whatever thing they want to be. Um, and I think that Midoriya's mom, you know, she really, she's dealing with a lot, especially, like, in the, the, like... And she seems to be a single mother? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. They reference his father, but I don't, he's not ever We know he had some kind of fire powers. Yeah. But maybe it was Endeavor. I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That would be wild. Yeah. No, but, um, yeah, and I think she's just dealing with so much. Like, she's, like, imagine watching your son get beat to a pulp on television. And he's ostensibly at school during this. So there's, like, one little element to her character that I love. And and to, I'll put this into perspective in the sense of a con. When we went to Anime NYC... Mm. Uh, I know this story. Yes, I went to get uh, some like metal bookmarks because they were like selling them there, and they were pretty cool. And I got a Mount Lady one because I'm a simp. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was like, "Oh, do you have Midoriya's mom?" Because I love Midoriya's mom. And they were like, "Do you want skinny Midoriya's mom or fat Midoriya's mom?" No, and I was. What? They, they said, "Do you want young Midoriya's mom or do you want thick Midoriya?" That's mom? what it was. <laughs> and I was like, "Absolutely thick Midoriya's mom," but. 
to the point, that's just one of the most, like, I think, brilliant character elements is that she actually puts on weight from the time he gets accepted to UA High School. Be- well, no, from the time that he's young. From she, the time that... Yeah, but like, as he's growing. But it's also, like, just this kind of, like, real element of, like, stress and raising a child and, like, putting, you know, yeah. forth the care. Like, it's a really good like, just character design elements. Yeah, and, like, she's... You can tell, like, at the end of season two, she's freaking out. She's yeah. like, holy shit, like, because, you know, at this point, you know, he's he has irreparable, dam- irreparable damage to his hand. Yeah. Um, he's got a whole bunch of scars. She's watched him be... She she's, she's had him gone like there was a hostage situation at the school, mm-hmm. and then after that, he got the shit beat out of him on live television. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he also broke has, all of his fingers and all of his hands. He has the most dangerous villains in the world after him yeah. constantly, and it's like that's so much stress for a parent, well, especially, and, especially for like a single for, mom. Well, and also that she has gone through the emotional gymnastics of this is turning into the My Hero podcast. I am here. Yeah, right? No, don't um, worry. I only have two more topics. <laughs> I only have 34 more points. What? Um, but uh, she has gone through the mental gymnastics of, oh, my child really wants to be a hero. That's going to be really stressful because it's dangerous work. Yeah. Right? To, oh, my God, he's never going to get to live his dream. To, oh, my God, he's getting to live his dream. To, oh, my God, that is putting him in mortal peril. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot, you know, for a parent to deal with. Yeah. Um, the second last thing I wanted to talk about is that Midoriya would probably be pretty good at judo. So, like, mm-hmm. there are a couple scenes where, like, he's not using his... He's not using one for all. Um, the first one I noticed it in was when he was doing the combat training with Bakugo. And, like, he just gets a really good, like, shoulder throw in on him, right? Like, mm-hmm. just, like, a really grabs his thing. Just, whack. And he does that a couple more times to a couple more people. And I was thinking, like... You know, maybe instead of sending him off to to work with Gran Torino, maybe they should have just sent him to like a judo dojo for a couple they weeks to like learn some basic. Uraraka. Yeah, learn some basic, you know, martial arts and stuff. Um, so I was just, I was like, maybe also like there's an alternate universe where he never gets his superpowers, but he becomes a judo star. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. Um, and the last thing I wanted to talk about with my hero is shipping. Let's talk about ships. Dan, do you have any ships for my hero that you want to talk about? Because I have a couple. Yeah, me and Mount Lady. You and Mount Lady. Because like, <laughs> I don't usually get into ships when it comes to shows, but this show is just so perfect for it. Uh, yeah, it is. You know what? After going to FlameCon... Uh, and seeing those drawings of Todoroki and Bakugo oh, together, yeah. those were so good. That okay. I was like, I want that to happen. Fair enough. But no, I don't really ship my hero. I've got personally. some. Un- I've got some unconventional ones, and then I've got some conventional ones, and I'm just gonna blow through them real quick. My first one is Eraserhead and the reporter from NHA. Okay. I don't know why, but I just, I'm like, I want, I want to see them go on a date. Sure. You know, I think that would be rad. Um, Ida and Hatsume Mei, who is the girl from the support course. Um, do you remember her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have him down, but I also have in parentheses, but their relationship is toxic. <laughs> I mean, I don't think Ida would be very good in a relationship. I, well, I don't think that, but also, like, she's, like, clearly, like, willing to use anybody to, to get to her goals. So I'm like, okay, yeah, that might work, but it'd be bad. Um, this one is going to piss some people off. Um, I have... Um, Ashido and Uraraka. Together. Which one's Ashido? She's the acid girl. 
Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. So some people on the internet get butthurt whenever you don't ship Midoriya and Uraraka together. No, they're super toxic together. I think they're super toxic together. They're much better as friends. Yes. Um, and I think that Ashido and Uraraka works out really well because like Uraraka is like kind of high strong. She's like a super warrior. And Ashido is kind of like really laid back. I feel like she definitely kind of mitigates some of those yeah, more, okay. you know, t- like toxic traits like of that. Uraraka. Um, so that leads to the question, who's going to be, who's Midoriya with? Obviously Froppy. <laughs> Obviously. Because think about it, think about it. Actually, yeah, I I don't even need to. That makes sense. Midoriya, anybody that he's with is going to be a constant worry for his partner. Uh-huh. And I think Froppy is like the queen of the staying strongest calm. person. She is. She's the strongest <laughs> superhero and she just is calm about everything. She has all of the powers of a frog. She has all the powers of a frog. Anything a frog can do. Um, and I just think that pairing works out really well. Um, we're going to blast through a couple of the last ones. Um, blast through them. <laughs> so many. <laughs> no, there's only three more. Um, Kaminari, the electric dude, and mm-hmm. Jiro, earphone jack. Absolutely. Obvious. Yeah. Um, Ojiro, the guy with the tail, and Invisible Girl, again. Mm, no? The tail just grosses me out in every You just, you just don't like the tail. <laughs> it, it's like just a big... Thick skin tail with a tuft of hair on the end. It's it is kind of gross. Yeah, it's super gross. I do love that his how his hero costume is literally just Luke Skywalker though. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, and then Yaoyorozu and Todoroki, which I think is is pretty obvious between the Todoroki two. is not prepared for a relationship. Well, he needs extensive therapy. Here's the thing: I don't think either of them are, but I think they each cover oh, yeah, each other's so they weaknesses. Get together. No, no, no. Here's the thing: because like, first of all, they're both from like you know upper class families, right? Uh-huh. So they have all the baggage that comes with that. Uh-huh. Um, Yaoyorozu, she has issues with confidence, obviously. But, you know, that's kind of mitigated by Todoroki, who's just, like, kind of in control all the time. So, like, except for some other times, which we're going to talk about. But, like, you know, as we see, you saw in the finals for the first semester, they really kind of, when they cover each other's weaknesses, work well together. And then, like, you have, like, Todoroki with his daddy and mommy issues. Mm. Um, And I feel like, you know, with how logical and well thought out that uh, Yaoyorozu is... She kind of definitely would be an influence on him to, like, sit down and think these things out in a a rational, emotional way rather than, like, I'm not going to use fire because I hate my dad, you know? Yeah. So that's why I put those two together. Those are my My Hero ships. There you go. You can argue with them, but they're objectively correct. Backed by science. Um, But you know what else is backed by science, best boy Dan? What? That is our social media presence, where you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at thebestboys underscore pod. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you can also send us an email at thebestboyspod at gmail.com. Um, and with all that being said, I think it's time for us to check in with Studio WEB for some anime news. That's right, Best Buds. We got hella news for you. Hella news. And... Up first, when I like went to put in the news, this was like right at the top, and I was like, "Yes!" Uh, Twin Engine revealed that the anime based on Kore Yamazaki's *The Ancient Magus Bride* uh, will get a second season that will premiere in April of 2023, which is awesome. It's not even that far away. Yeah. Uh, the new season will air on Tokyo MX and BS11, and will stream in Japan on Amazon Prime Video and Hikari TV. Uh, the 
the announcement video features English subtitles. Uh, the anime will adapt the college arc of the manga, which launched in May of 2018. Um, interesting that amazon prime is streaming it that doesn't necessarily mean they're streaming it in Worldwide. the rest of the world yeah. um but possibly so we'll kind of keep an eye on that we'll let you know yeah um i'm pretty excited for this yeah best point justin for those not in the know do you want to hit them with a little bit of like what ancient megas bride is i mean ancient megas bride it kind of um if i'm remembering correctly it's been a long time since i see it. we should actually also watch the ova yeah um Basically, there's a girl, her name is Chitose, she is like, um, she's super depressed, she has <laughs> She problems. sells herself she, into she, slavery. Yeah, she sells herself into slavery because she's actually some kind of, uh, do you remember the name of like the magical being? She has some like crazy magical being background, basically. Yeah, like, kind of like a fairy. Yeah, she's not... like a humanoid fairy. And basically... <laughs> she's not a fairy because the fairies in that show are stacked. The fairies in that show are, yeah. Um, but anyway... <laughs> Uh, basically, she gets bought by Elias, who is like a, a, a sorcerer. Um, he's like this gigantic dude with a skull face, and um, he kind of buys her to be his bride, which is problematic. Um, <laughs> the show is not without its problems, but yeah. it's also just a really kind of amazing fantasy yeah. show. There's some sort of libertarian angle here where they're like, it's not bad if you're the one who sells yourself into <laughs> slavery because it's your bot. Anyway, whatever. Uh, um, aside from all of that, which is a lot to put aside, but any, nonetheless, like, yeah. it, it does have a really solid like fantasy story. I'm trying to think of like what it's more akin to. Not in tone or in actual story, but in kind of magical world it's similar to like uh lion the witch in the wardrobe kind of magic uh, kind of it's a it's a stretch just because like the 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 show takes place in a semi-modern setting yeah so like you think have like, like 1800s england yeah it's like pre-world like just barely pre-world war one england like you have cars but mm. they're like there aren't a lot of them there's not a lot of roads like, I think electricity exists in the cities, but, like, out where they live in the countryside, they have, like, you know, torches and candles. There's, like, fairies um, and spells and magical trinkets yeah. and things transforming. Like, Oberon, the yeah. king of the fairies, is in it. It's like, it's a great show. You should watch it. Yeah. It, especially if you like fantasy and drama, 10 out of 10 would recommend. Yeah. It's one of, like, Best Person Cat and I's, like, favorite together we watch shows. Yeah. Um, switching gears to a wild story, though, uh, Kodansha announced that Hajime Isayama's Attack on Titan manga is inspiring a stage musical that will run at the Oryx Theater in Osaka from January 7th to the 9th of 2023 and at the Senenken Hall in Tokyo January 14th through the 24th in 2023. Go Ueke is directing the play uh, with script by Masafumi Hata and hip hop artist Ken the 390, um, which is a dope name. <laughs> I think I'm gonna have to go check that them out. Um, they are the music director with lyrics by Kaori uh, Miura. 
The staff aims to combine traditional staging and music with the latest technology to recreate the Attack on Titan world. Uh, and just a little tidbit too, the manga inspired an earlier planned stage play production in 2017, uh, but that production was canceled after 38-year-old acrobat Kazutaka Yoshino passed away due to an on-stage accident. Wow. Um, a little Spider-Man the musical there. Um, but yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, and, and I know we've kind of like brought up stage plays and musicals of anime as kind of like a, hey, isn't that like fun and silly and interesting? They're doing like a Jujutsu Kaisen musical or a My Hero Academia musical. Mm -hmm. With my American sensibilities, that seems silly, but I'm curious about it and, and that sort of stuff. But I want to talk about kind of a different aspect of this because I realized something while reading through this. And for those who don't know, I actually have like a degree in theater production um, and did that for 10 years. So I can talk a little bit about this. Now, what stands out to me is the dates that this is running. Yeah. It's going up for three days in Osaka and then it's going to Tokyo for 10 days. Which means that this is not going to be like a King Kong the musical where you're going to have, you know, 20 foot titans on stage. And like, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's probably safe to say there will be some like aerial like maneuvering things um, for sure. But I think this is probably going to be a very heavily projection focused show, um, which is also interesting to me because that speaks to kind of a larger trend in theater of foregoing like um, traditional stage elements in for projections because yeah. it's like easier, cheaper, all that sort of stuff. So it's interesting to kind of see that even outside of America, the kind of Japanese theater is also leaning towards shows like that as well. Interesting. So that was kind of what sprang to mind when when I heard about that. And also, hey, I think <laughs> an Attack on Titan musical sounds fun. Um, it would be interesting. Yeah, so who knows? They've released these shows in the past for streaming. Um, so maybe this one will stream out here too. Maybe. Uh, but if you're in Japan, go check it out. All right, best buds, I'm going to kind of keep this uh, box office train rolling. Uh, we've been talking about this for a few weeks, but... I've been looking at the box office, and to wrap up my news segment, I kind of wanted to break down some of the things that have changed both domestically and uh, abroad in Japan. So up first, I want to talk about the Dragon Ball Super Superhero film, which by the end of this weekend, we're recording uh, on Labor Day this uh, week, so we don't have the official numbers, but it's expected that um, the movie will have grossed an estimated 35 million U.S. dollars uh, domestically in North America, and that will bring the film just above the 34.5 million that Jujutsu Kaisen Zero grossed, and making it the fourth highest grossing anime films ever in a U.S. box office, unadjusted for inflation. Uh, it will also put those films as number 28 and 29 in the U.S. box office for the year, just below Downton Abbey, A New Era, mm -hmm. and above The Northman, The Bob's Burgers Movie, and Beast, which I also just love that Dragon Ball Super is shitting all over Beast mm -hmm. at every turn. Um, the anime films that have earned more, and this is a little new update because we talked about just which ones had the best opening weekends, right. but the best 
grossing total films domestically for the U.S. box office is Pokemon the first movie, which makes sense. Demon Slayer Kometsu no Yaiba, um, the movie, Mugen Train, and Pokemon 2000, the movie. So this is up there with like the biggest players. Uh, I would also like to point out that Demon Slayer was the highest grossing movie of that year period awesome we've said it a bunch but uh, it still tickles me it was a weird year so you know dragon ball super superhero is just crushing it absolutely um i also learned that apparently spoiler (laughs) um piccolo has like a new form in this which sounds kind of cool i don't know why but for some reason i thought you were gonna say piccolo has a big dick I mean, you know, I, the, the, that's the, that's why this movie is grossing so high. The tone you, the tone you went with made it sound like you were going to say something scandalous. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of scandalous. I guess. Um, anyway, jumping back into the box office, we're going to jump over to Japan to talk uh, about what entertainment news website Cinema Today revealed. That the One Piece film, Red, has earned 12.953 billion yen, uh, or about 92.17 million uh, US dollars, surpassing Top Gun Maverick to become the highest earning film to open in Japan so far this year. The film has sold uh, almost 10 million tickets. So, right off the bat, A, one Piece is beating Top Gun in Japan, which is insane because Top Gun is past Avatar yeah. in box office sales, <laughs> which just goes to show where uh, Japanese cinema priority is. Um, and the film is now the uh, the twenty first highest grossing Japanese film in Japan, period, uh, and the ninth highest grossing anime film in Japan of all time. Um, so One Piece. Red is crushing it out there. It'll be really interesting to see what happens when it comes to the United States. And to see how it compares to Dragon Ball. That's, I think, what I am most interested to see is, does this popularity of One Piece carry the same weight in the West? I think probably not quite. Because if you're talking about American audiences, my guess would be there are far more Dragon Ball fans that don't watch One Piece then there are One Piece fans that don't watch Dragon Ball. Mm-hmm. You know? Though, I think that Dragon Ball Super is a slightly different audience okay. than Dragon Ball. Because I think it's like some newer people, and then also I don't think all the older people went on board with it. Gotcha. So it'll be it'll be definitely interesting to see. But I, I think I agree with you. I think Dragon Ball Super will outsell One Piece in the States. Yeah. But anyway, uh, moving on to my section of the anime news for this week, uh, I'm going to start off with the the announcement that the official website of the Uncle from Another World television anime um, has stated that episode 8, as well as all future episodes, have been delayed indefinitely due to a rapid increase in COVID-19 infections among the staff at Atelier Pont d'Arc, um, which is the studio that produces the show. Uh, this comes on the heels of an earlier delay of episode 5, which was also due to the pandemic. Um... Now, Tokyo is uh, currently trending downward in new infections after a major surge in July. There were still over 14,000 new cases reported as of September 1st. Um, Now, this has led to a deterioration of working conditions within Atelier Point Dark, uh, according to tweets from animator Ipei Ichi. Um, Ichi was planning to direct the anime's 10th episode, but pulled out of the production because there were, quote, no animation staff available. Jesus. Um... 
The production had been planned to go ahead with only in-house staff before the decision to delay the show was announced. This is wild because, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, how many of you have an understanding of how anime is produced, um, but almost all production houses outsource some of their work to other studios. Um, for Atelier Point Dark, which is a new and relatively small studio to take on the full scope of work for an entire show, would be incredibly brutal. Yeah. Um, and some of you best buds out there might remember when news broke last year that MAPPA was offering bottom rates on the production of a Netflix anime. That information was also first made public by Ipeichi. Um, so he's got kind of a, a history for, for discussing these types of issues. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of a, it's kind of a bummer because that show's really funny. Uh, I'm not 100% caught up on it. But, um, you know, anytime I turn it on, it's always good for, good for a couple of laughs. Um, so sad to see it being delayed. Hopefully, you know, once they, they get their COVID situation under control, they can, you know, maybe get in enough people to work on the show without burning everyone out. Yeah, that would be right. great. Um, but here's a headline that might have some of you best buds out there scratching your heads. Funimation has increased the pricing of its premium subscription plans. I saw this. Yeah. <laughs> now, you might remember Crunchyroll breaking the news of its acquisition of Funimation with the slogan, All your anime, all in one place. Um, but the reality for many anime fans is that only a small portion of Funimation's catalog has been com uh, has completed its migration to Crunchyroll. Um, and mostly it's just current or recent simulcasts and major properties. Um, so weebs who want some dubs or, you know, the older or less well-known shows uh, and movies still have to maintain a Funimation subscription if they want to get access to them. Um, and beginning on August 31st for new subscribers and October 5th for existing subscribers, Funimation's premium tier will cost $7.99 a month and the premium plus plan will be $9.99 a month. Um, Funimation has explained that the, uh, the price increase as a necessary step to achieve completion of a unified subscription service with Crunchyroll. Um, this is wild to me. The, cause like the whole idea with this merger was like everything you have on Funimation will be available on Crunchyroll. But you know, a couple, what is this? This happened in March, right? From May to July. We're almost half a year out. Most shows are not. Yeah. You know, like if you, if you want to watch, what was, I was recommending a show to someone uh, on Instagram the other day. Um, and they asked me, where can you watch it? I'm like, oh, well, I'm pretty sure it's on Crunchyroll now. Because uh, it used to be on Funimation. And then I went and looked. Nope, still, still only on Funimation. Funimation. Yep. Um, so, you know, it, it, I, I get that they're like, oh, we want to have unified pricing models between our, our products, which is fine. But, like, wouldn't it just make more sense to say, hey, anyone who has a Crunchyroll account can use Funimation? That's what VRV used to do. You know? Because, like, like, you would uh, get VRV and that would give you a Crunchyroll subscription, too. Yeah. that To me, that makes more sense than increasing the price for Funimation when, you know, there are still plenty of people who, if they want to watch the shows that they want to watch without pirating them, have to have both accounts. That's wild to me that you're going to make them pay you know, seven ninety nine a month for it's uh, Funimation also, and Crunchyroll. It's also separately. punishing uh, ostensibly your biggest fans. Absolutely. Um, so I think you know this is a really this is a really shitty move by by Crunchyroll. The um, the, the you know the the move that would put the the fans for first and like really you know appreciate your viewer base would be to have it so like if you have a Crunchyroll account. Even you if can you have to, like, raise, like, you know? the Crunchyroll subscription. Like, we know it's not going to stay the same. We know yeah. it's going to go up to, like, what, like, ten bucks a month. But least. this, like, this you're just you're just trying to squeeze some cash from yeah. as many people Blood as from can. the stone. Exactly. Um, finally, in my anime news segment, um, 
We've got some good news from Crunchyroll, at least. Um, they'll, they're going to be adding a metric assload of new movies this month, and we're going to go through them by date. Uh, but first, I had to burp. Um, September 1st, uh, we're getting Afro Samurai Resurrection uh, and Bang Dream Poppin' Dream, which I don't know what that is, but sure, we can watch it on September 1st. Um, September 8th, we're getting Odd Taxi in the Woods, which I'm super excited for, uh, as well as all three Psychopath Sinners of the System movies, um, which those I haven't seen. They're actually, they're like side stories that take place after uh, season two of the Psychopath anime. Um, so I'm kind of psyched to watch those. Um, we have The Girl Who Leapt Through Time coming out on September 15th alongside Sword of the Stranger and Black Butler, Book of the Atlantic. September 21st, we've got Jujutsu Kaisen Zero. So for those of you who weren't able to make it out to the theaters for that release, um, you can watch it streaming on Crunchyroll starting uh, September 21st. And you should. It's and good. you should. As it was wonderful. Um, September 22nd, we've got a bunch of the free movies coming to Crunchyroll. We've got High free Speed. Free is in the swimming anime. Yeah, free the swimming anime. There's High Speed, Free, Starting Days, Free the Movie, Timeless Medley, The Bond, Free the Movie, Timeless Medley, The Promise, and Free Road to the World, The Dream. The titles on these movies are just... I can't even... There's so many M-dashes. If you want to see colons, some... some abs yeah watch the show <laughs> well if you want to if you want to type the names find a different show because they are all over the place um september 29th uh we have all three of the code geass uh compilation films so mm. if you've been wanting to watch code geass but you don't want to sit down for the you know to watch all the episodes oh. compilation films they're maybe, here for you maybe i'll just do that absolutely um and that's kind of it that's uh that's what's coming out on Crunchyroll this month um, you know, are you going to be watching any of these shows? Let us know. Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at thebestboys underscore pod or send us an email at thebestboyspod at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps us out with the algorithm. It takes you a minute and it really, uh, really uh, helps the pod grow. Um, but with all that being said, I think it's time for us to move on into the meat and potatoes of this week's episode. I was trying to think of like, uh, what is up my... Something like you know how Robert Evans starts off the podcast. What's tuning my nommies? <laughs> what is tuning my nommies? <laughs> I'll try that one. That's pretty good. What is up my <laughs> no? <laughs> wow, no, it stays in. fear plans are in place to secure the future i had faith i knew you could do it it's a revolution tell me some more it's gonna be a party hang out keep those eyes open what is tuning my nommies we're doing it it was better when i said it yeah it was better when you said it. <laughs> i tried to be robert evans i'm not it's okay um but I have done a bunch of research on Toonami, and I'm going to talk at you about it for oh, a yeah. while. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Best Boy Justin, how familiar are you with Toonami? Never heard of it. Really? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like most uh, like most American, you know, anime fans of our particular age, um, 
Toonami was like my my introduction to anime before I even knew what anime was. It's just mm -hmm. like, oh, here are these cartoons that all for some reason take place in Japan. Um, but no, I mean, it's how I saw my first Gundam show, which was Gundam Wing. Mm -hmm. um, We're going to talk about Gundam Wing. I saw my first anime boobies with um, uh, <laughs> Lupin the Third. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, I've, uh, I've, I'm, I'm fairly familiar with Toonami. It was a formative part of my childhood. So yeah, I think most people have at least heard the name. Um, I believe it's still on the air. We'll get into that more in a later episode. Mm. Um but uh, basically, Toonami, for those uninitiated, was kind of a block of cartoons uh, whose highest prominence was in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and really, it was what introduced much of the West to anime. Yeah. Um, and kind of made it what it is today. And we're going to discuss a little bit of the history of this Um so I'm going to set the scene for you. When? 1996. Where? Cartoon Network. Re actually, really, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, and who? Mike Laszlo. Why? Cartoon Network isn't a principality? <laughs> it's not, surprisingly. Why? This story. This is this... The story is why. I'm telling you right now. Stop asking. <sighs> Mike Laszlo was in charge of programming and original content at Cartoon Network. Uh, he found that the network had lacked serious action cartoons. There was a block of shows called uh, Super Adventures, um, but Lazo felt that these focused more heavily on comedy rather than action. These are like more Hanna-Barbera era, like um, Johnny Quest, oh, okay. um, yeah, like Johnny all Quest. that that sort of stuff. Um, so he essentially enlisted uh, Sean Atkins and Jason DeMarco to kind of help bring his vision to uh, fruition. For a block of television that would define a generation and provide anime with its largest push into Western markets, maybe ever, Toonami had incredibly humble beginnings. In an interview with Complex, which I will be drawing heavily from, Jason DeMarco discussed working as a PA for TNT at the time. So I love just at the start of this, like the brainchild is just a PA at TNT, which is actually Cartoon Network was owned by like Turner Media. Yeah, at it was the, time. the whole big Georgia empire. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Sean Atkins uh, had helped. Um, Jason DeMarco um, get in the door, uh, but he had since moved over into Cartoon Network, which was upstairs in the same building. Uh, after Laszlo tasked Atkins to develop an action block for weekday afternoons to replace their already anemic programming, uh, which at the time, oh, this it had um, Herculoids and the original Space Ghost. Do you remember oh, yeah, Herculoids? I remember, no, but I remember Space Ghost. You, I think if you saw Herculoids, you would remember it. It's it's kind of like a weird, like Fantastic Four. I think they had like a character named like Gloop or Gleek what? or something in it. It was like kind of like this amorphous blob. It was a weird show. Sounds terrible. <laughs> but it was like old Hanna Barbera like animation. Um, but yeah, uh, he basically he immediately uh, began heading downstairs and brainstorming with Demarco. Uh, they would discuss what the ideal action block would contain. Little effort had been really put into franchising a Cartoon Network at this point, and Atkins uh, would be the first to foray into it. Simultaneously, uh, Atkins was also meeting with a man, Michael Cahill, who would go on to be the main editor of the classic adult swim bumps. <laughs> Oh, 
so I love this part of the story um, because the imagery makes so much sense in hindsight once you hear this. So uh, Sean Atkins and Michael Cahill would go on to like have these editing sessions together uh, and they would like be setting their cuts to like these like drum and bass music which was like the new hotness at the time like goldie and timeless mm. um but in atlanta at the time there was like this small japanese population that had opened up like a few like video stores mostly catering to japanese expats so they would go in there and they had access to like a ton of like untranslated anime and the duo would just sit together cutting anime, like untranslated anime and skateboarding videos together with like drum and bass music, like on their <laughs> free time. awesome. <laughs> but when you think about it, like, and just like that kind of like 90s style of like cut and editing and then you think about all of the bumpers for Toonami like yeah. that is exactly like that kind of like visual and aesthetic it that makes they perfect developed. sense yeah um I want to see if I can find some of those early videos. That sounds the, the, that sounds super dope. Bad. And you know what I realized about that? That mm. really makes those like the first AMVs. Yeah, and like I can picture that same kind of aesthetic, like the punk, like the the skate videos, along with like the anime clips. That's also like how a lot of these like lo-fi music videos online right now are. Yeah, too. it's like it it all just kind of started with these guys just cutting together some like videos for funsies absolutely wild um so <laughs> it took them roughly 50 names before they settled on the iconic tsunami name um and initially the hosts were supposed to be an ai and a teenage girl um but they later like reconfigured it to give us the illustrious multar who was voiced by clay croker I got lonely sitting here watching the world go by. It'd be nice to have somebody to talk to. Wonder Woman calling super friends. A friend, a patriot, a teammate. I think it's best if we team up. I say we go for it. Yes. All right, and don't don't be like who is Moltar like you're ruining Toonami for me Moltar was the first host we'll get into Tom later which is probably who most people remember from yeah. the show I vaguely remember Moltar but I definitely remember Tom yeah um it took almost a year for uh, Toei to animate the uh, CG Moltar and secure the rights to their first collection of shows, uh, many of which uh, DeMarco and Atkins' top choices were far beyond their reach at this point. What were the, does it say what their top choices were? Because I'm curious. Uh, we'll get into it a little bit okay. later, but like they always knew from the beginning that Dragon Ball Z was on the top, but like they couldn't get that. Yeah. Here. And you'll you'll see what shows they get, and it, it it's all really like circumstance mm -hmm. that it, it, this this project fell into place out of luck more than anything else it seems like um because there was like no budget for this yeah um but eventually they like settled on their original lineup so on saint patrick's day of 1997 uh Toonami exhaled its first breath of life and came out swinging with Thundercats, Robotech, and Voltron. Okay, all right. Thundercats, I get it. I yeah. It. Um, this was, like, the first time that they'd, like, really come out with these, like, big action shows. Um, you'll see later on they add, like, Robotech to the lineup. Um, they get Beast Wars Transformers. Um, really kind of setting the stage. And a lot of, like, 
interesting robots and uh animals yeah (laughs) that's like that's the theme of the first um setting and this was just kind of stuff that cartoon network was able to get the first two years were a bit of a struggle though uh like i mentioned they had very little funding and they just were not sure if it was working right like the kind of metrics in which we can measure shows like are not what they once were yeah um they had definitely succeeded in uh, surpassing previous viewership from the, you know, Super Adventures block. Um, but it wasn't like the runaway smash hit that we imagine it to be today. I definitely remember watching it at this time, but it it, def- it was not the water cooler discussion or whatever the yeah i mean at this junior time high equivalent is at this time i was probably i was watching thundercats because of course i was mm-hmm. um i i watched voltron a little bit but like i wasn't into it you know yeah. i would have thought robotech would have been up your alley i don't think i ever watched robotech either uh <laughs> i definitely remember robotech and had a really sweet love story actually oh, <laughs> in oh. the beginning look at that um but yeah, week to week, it was like super stressful. DeMarco recalls Sean coming back from meetings with his bosses, shaking his head, muttering, I don't know, man, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fortunately, Ted Turner had cultivated an entrepreneurial spirit at Turner Media before his passing, which led to them basically being able to continue. They decided to continue taking a chance on them. Uh, and that would work out because perfect timing would strike and they would be able to scoop up some shows. And that's why they built the Georgia Guidestones. Exactly. <laughs> um, with the help of <laughs> of uh, cat girls. Yes. <laughs> Um, it wouldn't be until uh, 1999 that Toonami really made its mark on the West. Uh, and this is like one of those perfect examples of luck being the intersection of preparedness and timing. DeMarco recalls at the time USA Network had the rights to Sailor Moon, which I'm going to go off on a side tangent. All right, let's I talk about Sailor Moon. A really fun thing about Sailor Moon coming to the West. It was not originally supposed to come over as the cartoon. Mm. That was plan B. It was originally supposed to come over as a, like, daytime, like, kids show. Really? Yes, which is also funny because there was a Canadian musical for Sailor Moon, but that was after it became popular, and Samantha Bee starred in it with her husband. What? That's wild. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Jason, what's his name? The other... uh... No, um... God, what's his name? Why isn't it Jason Sudeikis? Jason Jones. Anyway, they were both... That's how they met, was the Sailor Moon musical in Canada. I refuse to believe that that's true. 100% true. No. Look it up. Um, you, 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 <laughs> I thought we talked about it. Up. That's why I didn't even put a whole thing You're in it. You're gaslighting that. me about that. Um, but... Uh, so that pilot episode, the live action one, really uh, leaked online recently. So you I can do remember that. that. Yeah, yes. we talked about it. So I really want to watch that now. Um, but basically, like that didn't pan out. So USA had the rights to the show, and they're like, "Do you guys want it?" And they're like, "Yeah, sure." Mm-hmm. So they picked up Sailor Moon, and then on July first, uh, nineteen or June first, nineteen ninety eight, Sailor Moon was added to the lineup. Another, and you're going to love this part of the story, the other lucky break they had at the time uh, was from none other than Bandai, who happened to be looking to expand their Gundam franchise to the West. Yep. What's this? Gundam? Yeah, I mean, this is why why you had 
Um, a lot of people are kind of confused about like why did the UC not premiere in the US before mm-hmm. Gundam Wind did. First of all, it did actually. It just was not very well uh, known. But also, like they were using Gundam Wing as a way to bring in a new generation of Gundam fans. Absolutely. Bandai reached out to Toonami saying, hey, we're looking to bring a Gundam to the United States. We have a new Gundam show and we think that this platform would be the perfect launch for it. Uh, and they asked, are you guys interested? To which they responded, hell yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically they had Sailor Moon, they had Gundam Wing, and there was like one last ingredient that would change Toonami's future as well as anime outside of Japan forever. That one property that had been in their wishes since day one. Reboot. I'm just kidding. It was Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> I was like, that's not the words that were supposed to come out of your mouth. I wish you could have seen Best Boy Justin's face. Um, I, my face made the the visual equivalent of the exclamation sound from Metal Gear Solid. Um, but yeah, with Sailor Moon and Gundam Wing in hand, they were basically able to say, look, we have these shows coming, uh, airing. You know, we're starting to pick up steam. You see what we're doing this is the show that we want. This was, from day one, the show they knew they needed to have on the network. Mm-hmm. That's all I know about. I'm sure there were other shows on top of it. And and I think, for the most part, they got all of the other shows they wanted in later iterations of Toonami. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is... Uh, this is the this is the golden ticket for them. Right. Uh, so, quoting Aikens, uh, when I was a kid... It, we were still getting up at like six in the morning uh, for her local uh, UHF high, uh, ultra high frequency channel to watch Dragon Ball Z. And I thought, I know there are other kids out there doing this. I know people have been sending bootleg VHS tapes around. And I'm like, I bet if we can get this thing and put it at five in the afternoon, we might just have a hit on our hands. And we really did. I, this is absolutely true. Like, I remember waking up at, at six in the morning to watch Dragon Ball Z on the, like, Spanish channel as yeah. a kid. Yeah. Um, on August 31st, 1998, Dragon Ball Z aired on Toonami and would change a young best boy Dan's life forever, for <laughs> sure. Um, at this point, I think it's probably pertinent for us to discuss what 1998 was like for our younger listeners out there. Uh, (laughs) Back in the 1900s. (laughs) The rise of Dragon Ball Z and at the same time Pokemon, basically, uh, baffled pretty much everyone over the age of 22 at the time. Um, You know what? I was actually thinking recently about the original run of Pokemon because... To this day, a lot of like superhero action anime shows, you'll see um, when they use their powers with flashing lights, the screen dims. Mm-hmm. And that was because kids were having seizures watching Pokemon. Yep, the Porygon episode. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Famously was, uh, banned episode. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day with uh, when I was watching My Hero. Yeah, it's... It's this time was really wild. And I'm kind of only vaguely aware of it because I was on the kids' side of it yeah. at this time. But, like, when you look into what was happening in the press, because, like, people didn't know what anime was, yeah. really. And this was, like, the first time that they'd hear about it. Like, I remember my mom being like, what's this animu you're interested in? Well, I, I, My stepdad would be like, dragging my balls. <laughs> I, I vaguely remember listening to, like, a news headline 
Um, it might have even actually been on Fox News that said, like, uh, what is the new the new television show from Japan that's making kids sick? Oh yeah, yeah. That is how that was how they were covering. Um, oh yeah. Well, and it, it's also backing up a little bit too. Like this is coming after a period where America was aggressively attacking Japanese, like in in kind of like campaigns because they were really concerned about them uh, and their like economic power when it came to electronics. Yeah. So yeah, a lot a lot of the stuff you see people saying about China today is kind of how people were talking about Japan back in those days. Yeah, like they were really scared that they were going to overwhelm them. Um, but diving back into the story because I do want to get into this more. Um, but first, I have to tell you what Demarco mused at the time, which was, so there was this wave of main, mainstream publications just being like, "Wow, kids are really watching this stuff. What's the deal with this Japan, Japanese animation?" It was really weird to suddenly have the Wall Street Journal writing about Dragon Ball Z, and 90% of the people who wrote about it got it completely wrong, whether it was all positive or all negative. Um, so I think what is interesting, too, is like you have things like the Wall Street Journal writing about yeah. Dragon Ball Z, and like how could they possibly cover it from any sort of place of knowledge? There's nothing like this before in the United States. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I can't even imagine how parents must have saw it as like, especially in the nineties too, like hyper violent mm -hmm. and like, you know, cause it's, it's a battle show. It's like a show about fighting and it's, you know, it's got nudity in it, too, because they draw the little boy naked after he transforms yeah. and stuff. Like, there, it's all this kind of panic in the 90s. And, and I think the other thing that maybe some of our younger viewers maybe comprehend but don't fully understand is what this was like from an Internet perspective, too. Mm -hmm. Like... The internet used to come in the in the mail back then. Yeah, you used to get your internet <laughs> delivered in the mail, and that's not actually a joke. <laughs> but, like, I, I remember there weren't, like, official websites for things, and, like, you, you, you didn't know what you were watching. Like, you saw yeah. this thing on Toonami, and you started seeing a collection of shows that were not the same at all, but had something that banned them together, and then you were like, okay, this is anime. Yeah. And it wasn't like you just go online and you're like, oh, okay, here's the Wikipedia article about yeah. it. Wikipedia didn't exist, I don't think that. I think I had probably been watching anime for like two or three years before I ever really heard or understood the word anime. And and there were elements of like satanic panic to it. And of like, course, it was the yeah. 90s, man. <laughs> It was the 90s, like... <laughs> You know, when you have things like the Wall Street Journal and Fox News covering it, I think DeMarco brings up an unbelievable point in that it, you know, they just no one knew what they were talking about. And most of what they got was wrong. And they weren't talking to the people like DeMarco. They were just like, you know, it was a bunch of 60-year-olds <laughs> being like, what are my kids watching? Sort of deal. Like, that was the only point of reference to it. That's wild. Um, it is interesting to see how this is also the start of all this right like when this is how our whole generation basically came into anime fandom and would move branch out from there right and like kind of shepherd in the next round the big three after that you know the one piece the naruto and the bleach yeah you know and then 
jumping into streaming anime after that. This is the progenitor of all of that, and it was about to blow up. Just like me. <laughs> and that's the end of part one. Uh, yeah. Potted. Um, what do you think, Best Boy Justin? Pretty interesting story, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm th- like I said, this was this was an, uh, an exciting and interesting time period in my life. Um, mm. You know, with Pokemon coming out, you know, Gundam Wing uh, taking my life over. I probably <laughs> watched, I probably watched the full run of Gundam Wing like two or three times as a child. Like, I remember that I had a VCR and I would set it to record. The whole Toonami block mm-hmm. and Boy Meets World. <laughs> and Boy Meets World. Because <laughs> I, I had a huge crush on Topanga. I really, at that point, like, only cared about Dragon Ball Z. Or not Dragon Ball Z. Um, uh, Gundam Wing. And, like, it was funny because, like, I, as a kid, I watched every episode. It was the one thing I did. Like, I yeah. didn't, I didn't <laughs> I care was that about way any, with Dragon other, Ball Z. <laughs> any other thing. And I remember one time I was going to go watch the episode and my sister wouldn't let me. And it turned into a whole thing because, like, my mom was like, well, you know, it's the only thing he wants to watch. Can he just watch this thing? <laughs> and it was not, it was not a, it was, it was a, a battle in the house. It was like, that was the only, I didn't, like, I, did I watch Dragon Ball Z? Yeah, sure, sometimes, but I, I wasn't super into that's it. That's funny. That's how I was with Gundam Wing. Yeah. I, like, I made a point to watch all of Tsunami. I watched Sailor Moon. It wasn't my favorite show, mm-hmm. but, like, I was like, there's something about this. Like, it was just like a fervor for this little Dan. I didn't watch Sailor Moon. I was too young to understand it. I was like, I was like, uh, you know, girls in skirts, magical girls, dunno. But like, big giant fighting robots? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm in it. Which I think is also an interesting point. And I, for those out there who don't know, um, I'm three years older than Best Boy Justin. How old are you? I'm 35. Yes. Yeah. So... At the time, so 1998, I was 11. And I was eight. eight. So, yeah. like, at that time, the age, I think, makes a little bit of a difference. So I, I think it will also be interesting to see perspective. Because what I can also draw from, too, is, like, my little sister and brother, who I tried desperately to get into it, <laughs> were, like, I think a little bit too young. And I think my sister's six years, five or six, five and a half years mm-hmm. younger than me. So, like... Best Boy Justin's, I think, on the younger end of it. I'm, like, kind of right the sweet spot age for it. Yeah. But I think there were also a lot of people who liked it up into, like, college and stuff, too. Yeah, I mean, you know, for, for my part, with my family, I just had my sister who's two years younger than me. And at that point, I don't think she was really into anything anime-wise. I think her first, if I'm remembering correctly, Spirits her first... Basket, right? No, her first anime was Hamtaro. Oh, I yeah. remember Hamtaro. <laughs> it's Hamtaro time. <laughs> yeah, that was her first anime, I think. Well, I think this is a great time to let everyone know to join us next week on our Hamtaro podcast. Yes, we actually, the, the, the whole podcast is changing formats. We're going to be all Hamtaro all, all the time. time. And we'll see you all then. Yeah, thanks Bye. for tuning in. Bye. Laura's gone to school, let's go to our Ham Ham Clubhouse. We can fix their troubles, just be quiet as a mouse. Watch out for those cats, you know they're smarter than you think. But if we work together, we can make their plan sink.
seems like a logical place to end it. Welcome back to the Hamtaro cast. <laughs> What's Hamtaroing? <laughs> My Taros. Welcome on in, best hams. <laughs>